Greetings. How are you doing today? I am so excited about my guest today. Um, we're going to talk about freelancing and how you can do that, why you can do that. And my guest today to help me with that is Matthew Matola, and I'm going to let him introduce my introduce himself in just a minute. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know him and speaking with him and. Uh, we're actually recording this at five o'clock on a Friday, so I told him I felt like I should have a cocktail in my hand while I'm doing this, but uh, I don't. I have iced tea, by the way. <laughs> so Matthew, Multiple cocktails. Multiple you should have. <laughs> Not just one. There's way more than one. <laughs> I didn't tell him what was in the iced tea. I just said I had iced tea. No, it is actually just iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for being on the podcast, Matthew. Of course. Thanks for having me. Really excited to talk with you all today. Uh, fortunately for you all, it's not Friday at five, wherever you are. So uh, <laughs> you're probably stuck listening to us at what, what, Lisa, Monday, Tuesday morning, maybe. So yeah, th thank you for having me. Excited to speak with you all. I'll, I'll tell you guys, and I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast before, but the most interesting listening experience that a listener has told me about is she listens to me while she's getting acupuncture. <laughs> <laughs> so I am now associated forevermore in her mind as being, you know, with needles, right? Yeah, I was going to say, Lisa, what does that say about you? <laughs> or her, I'm not sure. As I'm getting needles punked into me. <laughs> I, got, I got a kick out of that. Well, Matthew, why don't you tell the folks about yourself? Tell them your story. For sure. Yeah. So my name is Matt. I actually grew up outside of a small town outside of Boston of kind of lived everywhere. It's been, I think I told you, Lisa, it's been five cities in five years, a couple different countries. Um, and it's all been possible because of this crazy thing we call the freelance economy. So I did that traditional path originally. I was a finance and accounting major. I worked at the big four, but on the side, I would do this freelancing thing purely to make money while I was in college because I couldn't do a full-time internship. So when we say freelancing, what we really just mean is project-based work. And so if you're a consultant, guess what? You're a freelancer. And so I was doing that just to make money, like I said, and I kind of realized early on, like this, this is a better way to work. Now I'm no way in shape and form saying that everyone's going to be freelancers. In fact, I'm saying everyone's going to work on a project basis and freelancing is just a more efficient way to do that. But so I've kind of been on all sides of the fence now. So I started off, like I said, the big four, but I really quickly jumped. I was like, I, I can't do this. This just doesn't make sense for me personally. And so I, I started freelancing, but then I started being an entrepreneur, building a lot of freelancer solutions. And so I was early at a company called Gigster, where what we did was we would build custom software using for million dollar software projects using 100% freelancers. Most recently, I built Microsoft solution in the space. And so forever, my life has been, I freelance, I build freelance teams, and then I help companies scale their freelance use, usually up to $100 million. So that's sort of me. I I lead a company right now called The Human Cloud. We just published a book called The Human Cloud. And pre-COVID, I'd have to like be a little more theoretical and tell you all about why we're living in a remote and digital first world. But you all know this now. You're all probably working remotely as we speak. So I just can sit here and say, well, okay, COVID showed you all that we can work remote. Freelance is that next wave where instead of having to work for one company, you can work for multiple companies. Uh, vice versa, as a leader, you can hire a freelancer versus hiring an agency. So... I'll stop there, but I, I, I you know, fr freelancing has sort of been my, my engine to opportunity, you could say. And the reason that this topic was so meaningful to me is because of what's going on in the world right now. So many people, in fact, a, a statistic is as many as 92 people are thinking about quitting their, their jobs, changing jobs. And for some people, 
they will, for many of them, they will go into another corporate environment, a nonprofit, whatever it is that they do. But there are, I think, maybe more than ever in history, people thinking about what else, right? So I've been at home, I've kind of worked like a freelancer for the past 18 months. And now they want me to go back and sit in a desk from eight to five, and it feels like I'm being put in jail. And or it's, you know, my 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 job has changed substantially and I'm going back to something that doesn't look like what I did before COVID. And so freelancing is certainly an option for people. I get a lot of questions around this with prospective clients. And so I really wanted to dive into this. So, all right. So you've talked a little bit about a freelancer being somebody who works on a contract basis. What else can you tell us to kind of define what freelancing is? Great question. So when we say contract basis, literally just meaning independent contractor. But if we start to get a little more tactical, generally when think people think freelancer, they think something creative. So we're talking about a designer, a developer, a marketer, a writer, and the actual work output that they do doesn't need to be done in a W-2 or full-time contract. So if you think about a designer, they can design a web page, they can design a marketing collateral. They can design a PowerPoint. They don't need to do that for you as a W-2 full-time year, right? They can just say, hey, I'll I'll give you this PowerPoint for $5,000, or I'll give you this website design for $2,000, or a mock-up for $3,000. So that's sort of what it very tactically looks like, is that your, your actual output or your actual outcomes, you're charging per that instead of saying, pay me, you know, money per year, and hopefully there could be a bonus or something like that. Now, increasingly though, this is becoming everything. So five years ago, if you wanted to be a freelancer, it would generally be like, there'd be two categories there. We could call it sort of the, the high skill freelancer. And we could call it the, the, the geographical arbitrage freelancer. The geographical arbitrage freelancer is what you would hear sort of from the bad side, where it was usually us companies or Europe based companies that would go to developing countries and get developers <clears throat> that were like one tenth the cost. So that is one type. The other type, though, is more of the creative side, where it's you, the consultant, that's able to charge so much because you don't need to work in a company. So does that help, Lisa, sort of make it tactical in terms of those are generally the profiles that we see? I have seen this, though, now. Like this morning, I was talking to merger and acquisition freelancers. Before that, I was talking to finance and accounting freelancers, I was talking to bookkeeping freelancers. Even lawyers are freelancers. As long as you're working as an independent contractor, you are a freelancer. And I think that for you listeners, the benefit to the employer should be fairly obvious. So I can, especially if things are tough, I can reduce my overall headcount. We call them FTEs, full-time equivalents. I can reduce my payroll, essentially, when I reduce my FTEs. I'm not having to worry about paying benefits or you know, worrying about days off, sick days, all of those things then are off my plate. And I kind of get, it's like an a la carte situation. I get to go in there and get exactly the dish that I want and that looks appealing to me, that meets my need. And I don't have to pay for any of the other add-ons that come with the full meal. Is that a, is that a fair analogy? And, and access to expertise yes, that yes you wouldn't be able to in a full-time role and it used to be that if you worked in that large companies themselves they didn't have a problem getting the best talent from the best schools and the best talent would go move to new york city or san francisco 
that's not the case anymore. If you want to hire the best talent, they're not within 15 miles of headquarters. And that's what that, this was my pitch like five years ago. The pitch now is I, I really don't even have to pitch it because people are not living in the New York cities and the San Francisco's they're living in the Georgia's right. They're living in the Charlotte, they're living in the Nashville's they're living places that suit their lifestyle better. And so access to expertise is by far the number one. Now this is very, very, very timely um, because we have this massive labor shortage and great resonation. And so prior to the labor shortage, it would usually be only like the technical skills that we would have to say, okay, you know, there's a labor shortage. Now, everything, there's 11 million job openings, there's only 4 million people looking for work. You're not, you're not going <laughs> to find, right? Like you're not going to find talent. And if you do find talent, that talent, the uh, hourly rates have increased like crazy. So jobs that used to be $8 an hour or $12 an hour, they're now $18 an hour, $25 an hour. So you, if there's small businesses listening out there, we feel for you because I don't think there's a tougher job right now than owning a small business that's five to 15 employees. I really don't think there is. You're getting hammered across so many different fronts and talent is probably the last thing that you can get in the building, but the first thing that you're worried about. And so you have freelancers all around the world that are ready to work on a project basis. Now, can freelancers work in-house, meaning they they may do work that needs to physically be in a, a specific location, does that also still constitute freelancing? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Some okay. of my own personal clients are in person, and that's usually the best way to actually find clients. Like, I, I don't, this is probably one of my, my dumb skills that I have, one of my quirky little <laughs> skills, is I seem to make clients out of places that I already go. And so, like, my favorite coffee shop turns into a client. My favorite gym turns into a client. My first ever client was my baseball hitting coach when I was 19 years old. So we, a freelancing mindset is really just how can you add value in someone's life and, and you get paid for it. So obviously this all has to begin it from the, from the, um, the employee perspective, the freelancers perspective with an assessment of what do you have that is marketable? What can you sell? to whom would you sell it? And then how will you do that? Does that seem like kind of a first step to you or is there something I'm missing? 1000%. Think okay. about what outcome can you deliver at what cost? And when we say outcome, generally what is the, like the, the associated KPI in terms of how is it gonna move the needle, move the needle forward for your, your client's business? And then what's the cost and what's the time? I usually like to say for employees, if you think about it, we all have resumes or we all used to have resumes and then each resume would have a bunch of bullet lines and those bullets would always have a verb at the front, right? Generated, developed, created, like spearheaded, all the <laughs> same stuff, right? So look back at what you did and pick out the individual outcomes. So maybe the outcome, like one of the best ones that I've heard was it was a chief of staff. This chief of staff is now one of the best presentation designers in the world for some of the fortune 500 companies. So most leadership teams hire this freelancing quote unquote designer. But in reality, this person was a chief of staff who realized his skill was he was really good at creating decks. We all have things that we have a, a quote unquote skill, but then there's like this unique thing that we have. That's usually what your freelancing niche is going to be. And freelancing is hyper relevant. So a quick you know thing there is that when I hire freelancers, the reason that it's so incredible is because you're not only getting a designer, you're generally getting someone that's that's passionate about the space you're actually working in. So you're not just a designer. You might be a 
designer for NASCAR, or you might be a designer that's very interested in aquatic or something like who knows, right? But something that is more than just, yeah, I'm a designer or yeah, I'm a writer. So you can be very niche specific and, and for, I'm sure I've told my story on the podcast before, but this is really how I started my business while I was still in higher education. So I decided in 2009 to get an initial certification academy resume, uh, certified resume writer, and then subsequently got my coaching certification and um, a job search strategy uh, certification, all while still working for the university. I paid for all of that out of my own pocket and started my business and started working for a company that still exists, but I don't think they offer resume writing anymore. I won't mention them. And have and did freelance work for another company based out of the U.S. And then I worked for a company out of Canada. And there have been some other iterations in there as well. So that's how it started. And then that allowed me to build. Um, I, I don't think you would consider me a freelancer anymore because the clients come to me and I market my business. I don't have, I'm not a, a, a contractor per se, but it all started with me as a freelancer working for these other organizations. And they would just dump as many resume writer uh, projects in my lap as I was willing to take on. And, uh, um, yeah, it's a good way to start. So that's really what we're talking about here, I think. That is such an interesting point, though, Lisa, about the like, what is a freelancer? Because there's so many different there's so many different terms out there. Like there's gig worker, there's freelancer, there's contractor, there's consultant, there's independent expert. The list keeps going on and on and on and on. And on. I personally struggle to differentiate this with myself because a lot of people would say, "What are you?" Oh, well, I'm an entrepreneur, right? And like okay, well, I'm still like kind of a freelancer at times because I take on projects myself, but then I also have built companies and I've also led company or led uh, teams within large companies. So my mindset's never changed. My mindset is always, what's the goal that we have to hit? Meaning what's the outcome and how do we get there? Specifically, like more like project management than it is, uh, I guess, a specific skill. So it's, it's really tough. How would, you, how would you define the term freelancer, Lisa? And do you think, what, what do you think are some of the overlaps? I see the point that you're making. Um, if we only define freelancers as there's a contract and we are working you know, on a, a 1099 basis for another company, then we really are limiting that concept of freelancer. But I think I would suspect that the best freelancers are also at heart entrepreneurs and they can effectively weave in and out of that. So whether they're bringing in business you know, 100% of their business is being brought in with their own effort, you know, social media posting, paid advertising, whatever, or they have, you know, got a, I've got a client who is in technology and all he needs is two clients and he works for two clients and he, one of them, he reached out to me because one of them, he was wrapping up that engagement and needed another one and all he needs is two. And that's where he, he makes plenty enough money from those two. So I think, I think that fluidity uh, is a good point, right? Let's just, let's not worry so much about what we call it. Let's just get out there and do the stuff. That is, that's a great point. And I would add, I would add on top of that, that there's almost like two ways to separate freelancer or when we say freelancers, and it might be business owner versus individual contributor. And even maybe mm -hmm. it's manager versus IC, because some of the best freelancers that I work with 
they actually are not good entrepreneurs, like in any way, shape, or And but but it's just like how when you're in a company or when you're a manager or a leader, some of your best employees also aren't entrepreneurs. They're really good at whatever their specialty is. And so one of their specialties might be they're a great video producer. I actually don't want my video producer to be spending half his time finding new clients. I ideally want him spending his time on <laughs> producing videos, right? So there's kind of this 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 contradiction um, that you that you see within the freelancer community, because the best freelancers, according to the data, uh, they're not publicly visible. Actually, like you're not going to go find them on LinkedIn. They're not promoting themselves. They just have clients that love them to death and are always fighting over them. And so what usually happens is. We, listen, we all have benches of, of people we work with, but us that hire freelancers, we got a bench of like 15 to 50 freelancers that we love. And then when one of our freelancer friends says, hey, do you have X and you do have one, you end up fighting for that person's time. But so it, that's a, a unique point I wanted to add was there is this, this differentiation between the individual contributor freelancer and the manager slash leader freelancer. And Lisa, I think you and I fit within that leader column. Like we're very good at building teams and building systems, I imagine, but we're probably pretty horrendous at being ICs. I know I am. Like I'm not a good IC. (laughs) I think that's fair. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think I would say that about myself as well. So we've talked about some of these good reasons for entering this freelance economy. You know, it's the it's the freedom of your schedule, the freedom to choose the projects you'll work on, the people that you'll work with, how you're, you know, how, the where you will work, all of those things. What are some of the bad reasons that you're seeing people thinking about or actually entering the freelance economy? I love this. <clears throat> I love this question so much. So I'm going to caveat it by saying that you don't have to be all freelancer or nothing. Um, I myself, like I actually always fluctuate between freelancing, leading a team and freelancing on the side <clears throat> and then building a company. And so even if you are say a you know, working at a large company or whatever it is, if you're working a full-time job right now, you still might freelance on the side. And I think increasingly with, with the way the economy is shaping, you have to, like, it's, it's been kind of, I don't know, like, not a joke, but it's been kind of like a Tim Ferriss thing of like, we all have to have a side hustle. But I think what COVID definitely exposed is if you trust in one employer, that is very scary. Mm-hmm. And unless that employer is benevolent, but also a, like a really good business, good luck. So let me just caveat it by saying that, listen, you don't have to go all freelance or nothing. Um, there's very, I, I'm, I will always be freelancing, but I don't know if I'll always be just a freelancer, right? I do, I fluctuate in between. So with that said, the bad, current state, the bad is that healthcare. Healthcare is like the biggest one. Healthcare is really expensive if you're not working for a company. The second thing is vacation. If you're not working for someone, you don't have those four weeks of vacation. You also, if you're, you know, when you're working for a company, if you're sick, you're still going to get paid. If you're a freelancer, you, you're not. So those, those are usually the biggest ones. I think the, that we're getting, those are getting very manageable, by the way. There's lots of new technologies and new solutions making that. Um, I think in about five years, it'll actually be no different being a, being a freelancer than being full-time. But so those are generally the largest ones that we hear. The third thing is like, just like anything, it's not for everyone. So if you're someone who struggles with discipline and someone who struggles in setting your own schedule, someone who struggles in making your own checklist, if you just want an employer to give you a checklist, you do that for eight hours a day. I think that's actually beautiful. Like I'm kind of jealous that I don't have that. I just know my operating system doesn't work that way. But so that's generally the third thing is that it's just, it's, it's really hard. It doesn't suit everyone's lifestyle. So, you know, the healthcare, um, the vacation policy, 
and just the raw, it, it, you, you're on your own, you're an island onto yourself. Those generally are the three hardest ones that I've heard. Um, there's individual situations, but those three are, should definitely make you hesitate. I would certainly concur. I, I've heard from so many people that are thinking about going into business for themselves in some configuration and the healthcare issue inevitably comes up. And of course, I have no uh, counter to that because I know what I pay every month to to have insurance. And um, I, I certainly get your point about the structure because I, I belong to a women's group for, for a few years and it was an entrepreneurial women's group. And I saw these women and it was so interesting to observe this. And I was sort of this unicorn in the group and that my business was going straight up and I was getting stuff done. And, and inevitably all the women would come to me at some point in another to, to give them some magic dust as to how to order and organize themselves. But what was happening, I suspect, is that they didn't like the structure and the constraints around working a 40-hour work week. They didn't want a boss to tell them what to do or how to do it. And they thought the answer was going out on their own, but they didn't have the skill set to build the structure for themselves. And so, you know, get up at 10 o'clock and now we got to go to breakfast and, you know, oh, it's time to, you know, do the laundry. And it was so interesting and and they came to me like i i was the unicorn and i think in some regards i was but it was like i have a schedule and then i do it it's really pretty straightforward <laughs> i have my own back i do what i say i'm going to do but that is really a big one i think for especially entrepreneurs in the creative space what, what's that quote that's like only an entrepreneur is crazy enough to complain about working a 40 hour a week 40 hours a week so they quit their job to work 100 hours a week <laughs> like, there's, there's there's that one and then have you heard the elon musk quote about what he said someone asked him in the audience they were like hey what advice would you give to uh uh to people that want to start a company have you heard that that quote no what'd he say oh my god he goes don't do it <laughs> he goes if you need advice to start a company or motivation to start a company don't do it and then he goes, uh, you know, building a company is like eating glass and staring into the abyss. And so I, I couldn't concur more. I actually, any of my friends that are like, hey, I'm interested in entrepreneurship. My answer is, is why? And I, I literally call it a mental sickness or mental illness. Like, I don't think it's, I, I really don't think it's a good thing. Like, I wish I wasn't this way, to be honest. It's just, <laughs> right? Like, like who in their mind is like, oh, I want to have so much more risk. I want to be accountable to emails at nine, you know, like, there's little things that just oh, you yeah. wouldn't understand unless you're in it. But um, I will say one thing that's funny is like my, my girlfriend is a dentist. And so we have total opposite lives in terms of like, I am always in a risky situation, right? Like I'm really good at mitigating risk, but Saturday morning, if I'm free, I'm not going to go watch Netflix. I'm going to go work because I got time to work. Whereas, yeah, she might work nine to five and after five, there's no worries. So it's different. It's different. And it's not for everyone. I completely concur with that. I, so let's talk about the best ways for people to start this, right? So so there are probably some folks out there who have heard what you have had to say. And they're like, never mind. No, thanks. And that's <laughs> good. Survived. Right. Survived that's, until now. <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't turned it off. And there are some other people that maybe are intrigued and they think this might be the life for them, or maybe they had been thinking about it and that's why they listened to this in the first place. So how do they get from 
this maybe vague idea of what kind of freelance work they could do to actually entering the freelance economy and becoming a freelancer? Step one, get someone to pay for something. Now, there's different schools of thought here because, and I'm also torn about this. So like me, I had to start working for free. So my first ever freelance project was a baseball coach. And during the lesson, he had told me that he wanted to start a business. So I said, all right, I'll do market research for you. I did that for free. He paid for gas, he paid for food, and I got free lessons out of it. I then dovetailed that into walking business to business of saying, hey, I can do market research for you. And out of 10 businesses, one said, okay, we'll do that for, I think it was $1,000. That then turned into the next business for $2,000, not just market research, but market sizing and even budgeting. So it really, really starts with you just being able to lay out what in the world will someone pay for? Now getting there, there's a couple different things that you can do, but it's typical sort of if you're starting a business or starting something with marketing, where it's what's the product, who's the buyer, and where are they going to find you or where are you going to find them? And so I always advise that you start with your network. Like you never know who might actually need help. And so maybe you post on LinkedIn, hey, I'm open for this type of job. Maybe you individually email. Personally, if you have a job, I wouldn't be posting on your LinkedIn that, hey, you started taking, taking <laughs> no. freelance projects. Just Not a good idea. Not a good idea, right? Just not, not the best of ideas. But send some emails. Just be like, hey, I'm, I'm looking to, to do some work on the side. I think it's funny. Like The word freelance can have a negative connotation. Um, I think now it's, it's the best it's ever been. When I said I freelanced, I got dumped for it. My family thought I was throwing everything away. And I was looked at as ridiculous. Now, I actually don't think it's that bad, but still. So number one is you reach out to your existing people. I always like to set goals. So reach out to 15 people. And if all 15 say you're an idiot, then you're an idiot. Maybe you should try something else. Uh, start there. Then potentially, maybe in parallel, start on a freelance platform. Now, platforms do get a bad, a bad sort of look from the freelance community in general, but they can be a great place to start. And a lot of people have made a lot of money on platforms. So go to Upwork. I've, I really don't want to say go to Fiverr. Like I personally don't, but no. maybe try it just to get data, but I, I don't recommend it at all. Um, but so go to Upwork and that's where you can start to start to see projects. Third thing is just be scrappy in using SEO. So let's say that you are a designer, act like you're the client. And so go to Twitter, go to, I don't know if Facebook, I personally wouldn't, but maybe Facebook. Um, go to Twitter, go to LinkedIn, go to Google, and literally just search looking for graphic designer, looking for presentation deck, presentation deck design. Those are the three things that I would do ASAP, depending on what your specific skill is, your network, a freelance platform, and just basic internet research. From there, you'll figure it out. I think the number one challenge or the number one mistake that everyone makes, this isn't unique to freelancing, is that they want to have a plan and they want to think they want to have something that's they think too big start really really small and just try to get someone to pay for something and that'll show you sort of where your value is and i would say also as a as a platform depending on what service you provide linkedin profinder could be useful for you as well so you can check that out there is a, a monthly fee to be available there but that's a, a become a pretty good source, I think, for folks looking for stuff. And typically on LinkedIn, they're willing to pay maybe a little bit more than certainly Fiverr. Um, okay. Actually, wait, Lisa, quick hack that I left. Sure. Out, which is really dumb of me. So 
kind of like when you want a job, you go find either the hiring manager or the leader and you become best friends with them and you don't sell them, but you just slowly, slowly, slowly just build trust and credibility. That can be a very good strategy in finding other freelancers, specifically freelancers that are complimentary. So if you do know someone who's a freelancer, just try to get them to mentor you or be an advisor to you. And you'll be surprised. Most, most freelancers, we're always actually referring work between each other because either our client's asking for something that we can't do, or we're too busy, or we want to go win a large project. And so that is like one of those stealthy little growth hacks, you could say, that works very, very well, is finding other freelancers and just becoming their best friend. And not in a cynical, like I'm doing it to get work away, but you'll also realize if you like it, you might meet a freelancer friend and be like, I don't want that person's life at all. <laughs> so, like, which I, I hate to dampen the mood, but I, I, I just want to make sure like, yeah. So I, I thank you, Lisa, for letting me be uh, not the, not the most positive, but it's Friday at five o'clock. So <laughs> it's not for everybody. That's what, that's the message exactly. for sure. But I think for those of you that are considering this, we want to give you some tools and some strategies to, to help you get there. My, my next question is, is kind of how do you make yourself invaluable as a freelancer? And is that different from how you would approach that as a, an employee? Damn good question. Very, very, very good question. So is it different? Yes and no. The yes reason that it's different is because you as a freelancer are in the driver's seat and you as a freelancer do have to figure out a contractual obligation that enables you to do your best work. So the reason, and then let me to the other side, the reason that it's not different is because value is value. And so if you are a designer, whatever it is, it's all about making the person that's hiring you look better than they were without you. And so if you're an employee, you're making your boss look like a rock star and you're getting promoted because of that. If you're a freelancer, you're making your client look like a rock star. And most likely, so let's say you're getting hired by a director, they're, they're take the work that you are doing with them, they're then showing and meaning not that they, they're stealing your stuff, but the impact that you're creating is what's going to get them a bonus as well. So whether you're an employee or whether you're a freelancer, it's all about making the person on the other side look better. Now, back to the sort of yes, what's different about it. So I mentioned the contractual obligation. The other thing that's very different is that you as a freelancer are a partner, not someone who's below them. So if you are getting hired, you're not getting hired because that person knows, in most cases, knows exactly what to do and is giving you a checklist. You're getting hired because in that team, they don't have a design resource or an SEO expert or a writer. That's going to be you. So instead of something where you're following sort of the management path, you're blazing your own path in terms of you're taking accountability to what you're best at. So in terms of how to form the best relationship, this is where we're all unique, right? Like there are certain things about us that is, that is unique and there are certain things that get you to click with everybody. With that said, at the end of the day, it really comes down to exceeding expectations. So if you are a freelancer, you better get damn good at scoping out what you can do and making sure that every project you take on, you're going to go above and beyond. That's like the number one currency, right? And you know this, Lisa, if you, whether it's a client, whether it's a customer, whatever it is, you got to exceed their expectations. The way to get there generally where most freelancers like fail. And when I say fail, I mean like flounder. Like this is not like a, oh, they could have been a little better. Like, no, no, this is a full stop. They're usually really bad at this. They're usually really bad at client management. 
little things like mm-hmm. making sure that if they say, Hey, I'm going to do this in four weeks, making sure that they don't just ghost until week four and say, Oh, here's the deliverable. Instead, are you touching up every week? Are you giving them a calendar link so that if they want to book time, they can directly book with you and it's not a nightmare. Other things like feedback. Are you telling them that here's draft one feedback, you know, feedback is due by Tuesday so that I can spin a draft around by Friday, little things like that. That's really showing them that you're proactive, you're driving, and you're going to do exactly what you said on time, on budget, and you're going to exceed expectations. And what you're really talking about there is your systems and your processes. And at least my experience, and I think this is probably the norm, is those systems and processes have to constantly get revised and outright changed in some cases as you scale up your business, right? So, you know, if I look at my Uh, my situation, you know, there was a point when I didn't have a mailing list and then I did have a mailing list. And then, you know, I didn't have automation for A, B, and C, and now I have automation for A, B, and C. So I have to go back to the beginning and think, okay, now that this is automated, how does that affect everything? And what do I need to, how do I need to change this checklist that I put in every client's folder? Because I have 10, 20 things probably that I do right at the outset with them to get them in the client, like, you know, funnel. And uh, so it's it's an ongoing process. So I, I think we should add in, in full disclosure to all the skills you need to have as an entrepreneur and a, and a freelancer is if you're not organized, you better find somebody quick who is willing to be your organization or hire somebody, you know, if your spouse, significant other um, is uh, somebody, you're going to need some organization in your life or you're, you're, you're right. Because when you screw up as a freelancer, it's you that screwed up. It's not the company. It's not some nameless, faceless situation. And, you know, the old saying about if people are happy, they'll tell one person. If they're unhappy, they'll tell 10. Um, You know, it's true. (laughs) Could not agree more with that. Especially, I think one of the major reasons that employers and leaders love hiring freelancers is because you can see the whites of their eyes. That is the number one thing that I hear from clients when it's, why don't you just go with the agency? Because they like to see the whites of the eyes of the people who's actually doing the work. Now, we all know no one ever got fired by hiring Accenture or hiring Microsoft, but that's increasingly not becoming true. Uh, But with most agencies, you like big agencies, you don't see the whites of the eyes of the people that are doing the work and they're actually disincentivized to ever work with you. And so that is one major advantage that you have in hiring freelancers, which this this is where it gets really sticky because agencies can provide this. It's just that most agencies don't. So I don't don't want to make it an agency versus freelancer thing, but but at the whole, most agencies, you don't know who's doing the work. Um, But with that said, it's a double-edged sword because if you're the freelancer that the client knows the whites of their eyes, yeah, you better not ghost. And guess what? It's a very small pile. And so there has been numerous times where I'd recommended a freelancer to a client that freelancer goes to the client and guess what? I'm not going to work with that. Never recommend them again. Never. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I just, so as we record this, it's the 22nd of October and last week I terminated a a website um, guy, a tech guy who told me the project would take two days. He told me that in May (laughs) and I had just had enough. 
And I got a lot of excuses about, oh, I didn't see that email that you sent to me three times. It went into spam. Well, that's not my problem. That's your problem. And you clearly have a problem. And so you, it is your reputation and you have to be willing to work the late nights, do the things, bend over backwards to make the client happy because it's your reputation. Exactly. But the contrary is, you ready? You give over a statement of work that says this will be done in four weeks. You might finish that first draft the first day. Guess what? That client doesn't have to give you feedback until Monday of the next week, which means you now one time. Whereas if you're sitting as a full-time employee, you still have to go to the office. You still mm-hmm. have to work. So if you're really good, we can save a bunch of time. But like you said, if you're not organized and disciplined, then yes, this could be worse than full-time employment. Absolutely. Well, this has been a, a, I think, a fantastic conversation. I love that you are sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly of being a freelancer. And uh, hopefully it has dissuaded some people that are listening and persuaded maybe (laughs) a few folks as well. How can the listeners get in touch with you? Yeah, find me on LinkedIn. Um, Our book is called The Human Cloud Book. You can search on Google. It should be the first thing that pops up. We actually just found out like literally before I hopped on, the book is now released in Korean. So if there's any Korean listeners, uh, go get it in Korean. Um, I think it'll be releasing in, in Russia soon, I think it was, and other places. But so search the Human Cloud book, and then you can find me on LinkedIn. Matthew Matola should be pretty easy to find. And I'll have all of that in the show notes. And, and speaking of uh, number one in Korea, I just got message last week that, that my podcast is number one in, um, in the careers category in Kyrgyzstan. <laughs> nice. Oh my God. Yes. It's only number four in Hungary. So the Hungarians are still the, the, the you know, the votes out with them, but the Kyrgyzstans are on board with the exclusive career coach. They said, we're going to throw a massive international party. It's going to be you and I will bring the Korean book. Even if there's no sales in Korea, we're still going to party. Like, like we got a number one bestseller there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. You guys check out the human cloud, check out um, his links, get to know him, you know, connect with him on LinkedIn. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Take care. Stop the recording.